Please stand by. We'll be streaming live soon. All right. Good morning to everyone out there, wherever you are in the world watching. It's great to have you with us. Uh, streaming live from Rick Bonfam Ministries office here in Athens, Georgia. And today we're going to finish Acts chapter 16 in our Bible study. A really fascinating passage where uh, Paul and Silas are imprisoned in Philippi. So uh, let's take a look at Acts chapter 16. And we're going to begin with verse 23. So let's take a look at Acts 16 beginning with verse 23. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison. This is the, uh, the rulers and the magistrates of Philippi. If you listen to uh, Betty McKinney's Bible study from yesterday morning, uh, well, if you didn't, go listen to it. And if you did, I'm referencing that now. Commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. Okay, but at midnight... Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called with a loud voice, saying, Do yourself no harm. We are all here. Then he called for a light, ran in and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And so, they, and so they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took, and he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and immediately he and all his family were baptized. Now when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them, and he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. What a great story, right? So, so just to review, you know, Paul and Silas are in prison. The jailer um, takes this charge to, uh, to uh, put them in jail uh, overnight. And he, he obviously didn't have to put them in the, in the inner cell but he chose to and, and indeed put them in, in even in uh in the the stocks chained their feet and everything and uh, most likely this jailer was a roman a retired roman soldier the city of philippi was um uh, a place where many roman soldiers were retired because it was a a roman province that had all the rights of a roman city city that was actually in italy and so you could get land and you could have a you know a uh, a nice position there and uh, in the city and, and retire well. And uh, so here, you know, this this possibly retired Roman soldier who gets a job as a jailer uh, is presented as being a very harsh person towards Paul and Silas. And actually we see in here some, uh, some anti-Semitism, which possibly is the reason that he decided to treat them so harshly. Actually, not, not long after this, um, uh, Claudius, Emperor Claudius, expelled all the Jews from Rome. That's in Acts 18.2. So there was, some, there was some resentment towards Jews in general, you know. Uh, so anti-Semitism is, 
you know, it's 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 been it's been around. Of course, you know, anti-Semitism is a form of racism, and racism is just all over the world. But anyway, um, specifically, you know, there, there was, you know, and so this this uh, Roman employee, you know, that could have been in his heart there. You know, he just didn't like Jews. They messed up everything, right? <laughs> you know, they had their own way of doing things, and so he was kind of kind of in on that, so maybe that was in his heart, but in any case, the inner cell, there were three, typically, I'm sure I'm sure that uh, not every jail was the same, but typically there were three sections of, of each jail. There was the communoria, commun, communiora, whatever, okay? So that was the first part where, you know, the, there was light, there was fresh air, you know, sort of... Uh, you know, not as, uh, I don't know, not as dark, not as bad, basically, right? Then you had the interiora, right? So then you go the second level down where things are not quite as nice. And then the tulainium, tulainium. It's like a dungeon, right? No light, dark, dank, mold everywhere, spiders crawling all over you. Who knows, right? Just smells bad, <coughs> human waste. Terrible, obviously. And so this guy, you know, was uh, he was presented as being pretty mean. And so by the end of the Bible study, we'll see the transformation. It's pretty amazing. So there, there, uh, there's Paul and Silas, and and they're hurting, right? They're 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 uh, they're put in uh, their feet were put in stocks, and their 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 arms. And it's hard to describe the position, but it was very uncomfortable, you know, and it was very painful. And so this jailer was just really trying to inflict some pain on them. Uh, we find out that, you know, probably the jailer was told that they would be released the next day. Um, and he just wanted to give them a bad night, you know. Um, so, uh, so anyway, as they're there... We'll get to the singing part, but but as, as around midnight, right? So late, dark, and the jailers asleep, and Paul and Silas are singing, singing hymns, and I'm sure they probably couldn't sleep; they were in so much pain, and they're singing, they're singing hymns and praising God. And so then there comes an earthquake. And I thought about this earthquake. I thought, man, that's a very interesting thing—an earthquake. And I said, okay, well, what about earthquakes around Philippi? Is it Philippi even a place? that has earthquakes. I don't know. So I did some some research on the seismological events <laughs> around the area, right? Modern day Kavala, Greece, right? Right around there. If you go up the eastern eastern coast of Greece on the Aegean Sea and you kind of start to make that turn uh, to go on the north side of the Aegean Sea and you get to the three peninsulas there that looks like a cow's udder, okay? Just to the right of that, just east of that, was Philippi. Modern-day Kavala is roughly, you know, about where we're talking about. So I looked it up. Well, there's been three, 15 earthquakes reported in the last 365 days in or near Kavala, in that general area. I was like, oh, that's interesting. So, you know, mostly minor events, you know, nothing major. But yes, okay, but... Not something that would, uh, you know, unlock a prison door. I mean, you know. So earthquakes, uh, it, 
the earthquake here either was a coincidence of unimaginable proportions or it was a supernatural event, right? Um, so, you know, there's a lot of guys who study this passages like this and they say, well, you know, Luke was sort of embellishing for literary effect, right? I don't know about this. Yeah, the jailer may have turned to Christianity, but Luke was just having having some literary fun, right? Well, if that's the case, and we're going to go down that route, then I might as well go work at Walmart and just stop reading the Bible. Because there's so many supernatural things in the Bible that if I'm going to throw out Luke's, and then I'm going to put myself in a position to analyze and decide which which one of these supernatural events do I think is is true and which ones were, were made up, then, you know, I'm basically playing God and just deciding, you know, what I want to take and what I want to throw out. I don't like it, so, uh, so I'm going to throw it out. I like this one. I'll keep it. I, I mean, for me, it's all or nothing. So we're just going to decide that we're going to read the book of Acts with the eyes of faith, okay, and believe that Luke is telling the truth here and there's a historical fact. The earthquake came and those doors opened up and the chain, the bonds were loosed. Now, next thing I thought about was the, the prison doors had to be locked, some type of lock. And then I thought, well, what type of lock are we talking about? You know, is it just like a little slide? You know, <laughs> just a little bar? And then I started, so I read a little bit. I didn't do a bunch of research. I don't know what I'm talking about. But I did find out that the Romans were, Romans were pretty inventive when it came to locks. They, the first lock is dated back to about 4,000 B.C. The Egyptians made it and, and out of wood, and it was like a little tumbler system out of wood. And uh, so then the Greeks developed it, uh, you know, a little more, and then the Romans kind of took some of that and made it even better by using metal. And then, and, and then they were able to develop smaller locks with keys, and so Romans would walk around with a key on, as a part of their jewelry, and it was a sign of affluence, right? So now after the, Roman, after the fall of the Roman Empire, the, uh, uh, the development of locks pretty much came to a halt until sometime in the 18th century or something like that. But uh, anyway, all that to say that the locks on these doors... There's no, no joke. I saw a picture of one. It was a big metal thing with three prongs that go down in there, and you had to have a big fat key to go in and turn the tumblers. And so, it's the earth. It's impossible for an earthquake. In other words, what I'm trying to say is, an earthquake large enough to dismantle the door would have killed them. Okay, would have caused there to be, uh, you know, all the walls falling, the ceiling falling down on their head. Okay, so this is not some coincidence. God opened those doors. So then, what was the purpose of the earthquake? Then, if God, because if the earthquake. Now listen, if the earthquake is not what caused the doors to unlock, then why the earthquake at all? And as I read and studied and prayed and looked, I, I agree that it, it was for the benefit of the jailer. It was a sign to him. Paul and Silas didn't need it. 
God didn't need the earthquake to unlock the doors. Paul and Silas didn't need the earthquake. The earthquake was as a testimony to the jailer. Hello, I'm getting your attention. So, um, so as the earthquake comes, and the jailer, you know, shook, woke up, saw what happened. You know, uh, he decided that he needed to kill himself. Well, wait, let, let me not go there yet. Let me back up a little bit. So then, let me look at here, and I'm going to get back to the jailer in a second. Okay, so don't forget about that. Hang on that for a minute. Okay, put a little, uh, a little uh, tack on that one. And now let's go to the next one here, where in verse 25, we talk about Paul and Silas at midnight praying and singing to God, and the prisoners heard them. Okay? Reminds me of 1 Thessalonians 5.18. In everything, give thanks. In everything. I mean, Paul practiced that, right? For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. And I love this quote from this guy that I found on the Internet. It is always the correct time to praise God. When should we praise God? Always. There is never a bad time to sing praises to God because there's always something to praise Him for and to thank Him for. Um, and, of course, the, the prisoners could hear Him singing and praying. Uh, they were right there. The jailer could hear their praises. Um, and I like to believe that Paul and Silas were singing not for the benefit of themselves, but as a testimony to those prisoners and to the, and to the jailer. Okay? So then the question comes is, did the singing cause the earthquake? All right? Now, a lot of times that's presented that way, that because Paul and Silas were singing and praying, the earthquake, the earthquake came. But my opinion is no. Paul and Silas did not affect the event to come. Okay, so why do I say that? Well, it, it's simply this. I have this idea, okay, that God's purpose in our life is going to be fulfilled whether we have a good attitude or a bad one. Now, it's better to have a good attitude. <laughs> we get to be a part of it more, right? But see, God, God's purpose being fulfilled is it, it, not dependent on whether we have a good or a bad attitude. There's some days i got a terrible attitude, but God still uses me. And sometimes God uses me when I have a terrible attitude and I don't even know He's using me. That's just, that's just the goodness of God. So, so see, what I believe is that God was, was after this jailer, and he was trying to get to this jailer whether Paul and Silas had any clue what was going on or not. Now, Paul and Silas were pretty in tune to the Lord, especially at that time, right? And so, so they, were, they were joining in. But, uh, but I, I don't believe that their praises created the earthquake and the, and the whole situation. I think, that, I think that, was, that was God's sovereignty trying to, to get the attention of this jailer. So what are some other examples of God using, you know, people in just when they're just totally out of it, right? Well, Abraham and Hagar. I mean, God didn't, God didn't stop using Abraham. Uh, Moses complained to God all the time. Why did you give me these people? I mean, Moses had a bad attitude a lot. 
And I, honestly, I can't blame the guy. I, I, I wouldn't have made it, I don't think. You know, what he, what he had to put up with, I don't think I would have made it. But he had a hard time. And God still used him. King David and all of his sins, right? I mean, from the lineage of David, we have the Savior. Okay? So God, God, God sees the heart of the person who is the minister, who's the evangelist, who's the apostle, and honors the heart of the person whether their attitude is good or not on that day. That, that, that's what I believe. That's what I've seen in my life. That's what I see in Scripture is that God honors the heart of the person who is called, the true heart. And only God knows the true heart of the person. And that's what God honors day in and day out. Because, see, God doesn't honor me on one day because I have a good attitude and then not on another day because I have a bad attitude. God is not that fickle. Okay? God is way more consistent than I am. <laughs> Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. So, so it's, it's not that God's going to use you when, when you're in it and then not use it when you're out of it. And that's not to say that, that we, you know, because if your heart is good, then your heart, you know, it's, it's, those who have a bad heart don't even care. Those who have a good heart, they just have, a, they just have bad days. But, you know, sometimes that happens. You know, but God is not, God is not uh, just responding to my emotions all the time. You know, reacting to my emotions and attitudes in life. He's, he, he's got a plan and a purpose, and He's going to honor a person who has a pure heart towards Him and wants to be used by God, and even if they are off for a day, for a week, even a few years sometimes. God is patient, long-suffering. Hallelujah. That's a little side note and about... The, it, it's my spin on understanding the singing and praising because I've heard this taught many times to say that if you sing and praise, then God will move. And, it's, and we're led to believe that if we're not singing and praying and all this and, and being super Christians, then God won't move. And I just, you know, stop putting pressure where there, there shouldn't be. Life is hard enough. I don't need your guilt trip. All right, my heart's pure towards God, and I'm allowed to have a bad day. Get off my case. All right, verse 27. And the keeper of the prison, waking out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open... He drew out his sword. He would have killed himself. Right? Spirit of suicide just came over him. <laughs> Life is not worth living. Ah! <laughs> okay? But, but praise be to God that Paul saw it and said, No, 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 hold on. Because, you know, at that time, in that moment, I think that Paul suddenly realized that, Okay, God, God's got a plan here, and, and, this, and this guy is right. Okay? Um... So then the guy brought him out. He said, what do I need to do to be saved? Um, and so there again, the statement, this miracle of the earthquake and bands falling off uh, has convinced this jailer that Paul and Silas have the truth. And so he asked them what he has to do to be saved. Um, and, man, i only got ten minutes left. Better move. And they spoke unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house. So then, they, then they're preaching probably similar... Similar message to what Paul would have been preaching in Pisidia and Antioch. If you want to go read that passage, he may not have used um, a lot of the same Old Testament quotations, okay, to, to preach to this Roman uh, guy. Uh, but, you know, similar idea. God has been working to bring salvation to the lost, 
to the whole world for, for hundreds of years, and now the time has come through the person Jesus Christ, and, and boom, they're saved, right? Now, what an awesome transformation of this man, who in the very beginning of the passage just is just, yeah, he's just harsh, mean, cruel. So outwardly, outwardly, it would look like this man would never respond to the gospel. And there's a lesson in that. There's really a lesson in that. Because we've got to be careful as evangelists, as preachers of the gospel, as Christians who are ministering to those in need and the lost, that we don't assume we know that if someone is ready to receive or not based on what we see on the outside. Oftentimes, people's behavior is a mask for what's really going on in their hearts. And so it takes discernment of the Holy Spirit to know how to interact with people or, or, or how to be used. And you can't look at the outside and be discouraged that your ministry won't work because the person's heart might be ripe for the harvest. But outwardly, they're, they're, they're behaving in a way that would never show that. But, it, but it's a facade because their hearts are just hurting, I mean, they, or whatever it is, but they are just right for it. But you can't see it if you're looking at the outside. So we can't be discouraged and, and, and think that, oh, they're, just, yeah, they're never going to respond. I, you know, look at them. They're just running off and doing whatever they want. They don't care what I say. You never know what God's going to do. You never know when God's going to bring an earthquake or, or a supernatural event or, uh, or, or uh, you know, a life-saving event. You know, uh, push a, there's about to be an accident and an angel pushes a car out of the way. Things like that, you know. You don't know when, when God's going to do something and that, that, those people or that person or that congregation, it's just they're ready. Can't give up on them. Can't assume they won't respond. I mean, that's a great lesson for us as believers, as ministers of the gospel, to not be discouraged by outward appearance and, and people's uh, behavior that seem to lead us to believe that they're not ready to receive. By all accounts, this man appear, appeared to be the least likely to be converted, but God knew his heart. God knew he was ready if given the right opportunity. And so he was saved. Hallelujah. He and his whole household and then from from locking them up in a dungeon to to cleaning their wounds and giving them food and feeding them a meal and taking care of them and letting them spend the rest of their night and rest of the night in his house blessing his family what an amazing story man just picture the 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 experience that evening of of Paul and Silas sitting there in this man's house all bruised and beaten Right? And that man has to sit there and look at them with a black eye and with cuts here and cuts there. And he has to sit down and, and he has to look him in the eye, knowing that he was a part of their physical condition, but seeing the grace in their eyes. Man, what a powerful experience that man must have had. Well, we're going to finish up. I'm going to spend my last five minutes to finish chapter 16, because, you know, sometimes we just got to move on in these Bible studies. So, verse 35. And when it was day, the magistrates sent the officers, saying, Let these men go. So the keeper of the prison reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Now therefore depart and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us openly, 
uncondemned Romans and have thrown us into prison. And now do they put us out secretly? No, indeed, let them come themselves and get us out. And so the officers told these words to the magistrates. They were afraid when they heard that they were Romans. Then they came and pleaded with them and brought them out and asked them to depart from the city. So they went out of the prison and entered the house of Lydia. And when they had seen the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. So what is this, at this ending? You know, what's really going on here? Um, now, it's my belief, uh, well, first of all, as a Roman citizen, you had rights. You could not, uh, you, you were not um, subject to corporal punishment as a Roman citizen without conviction, without a trial, without conviction, okay? So what these magistrates did, they, act, they, they acted hastily because they were Jews. They assumed they weren't Roman citizens, I guess. And so they just did whatever they wanted because they thought they could. And then when they, when they found out they were Roman citizens, they were afraid because really Paul could have appealed to his Roman citizenship, gotten them in a bunch of trouble, and they could have been booted out and put in prison themselves or whatever, right? And so these guys suddenly are, are afraid um, that they're going to be in big trouble. But I think, I think we can learn something. I think Luke put this, puts this in here to teach us something about our hearts as Christians and as evangelists, as people who are church planters doing missions all over the world, um, is that, you know, Christianity is, the purpose of Christianity is not to subvert politics. That, that's, not, that's not our purpose, right? Paul could have done that. He had an opportunity to become a politician, right? But Paul chose not to do that. Why? Because the spread of the gospel is really what he was about. He was about people being saved. He was about building the church. And so in that moment, he had to decide, did he want to be somebody who was going to get into politics and, you know, going against these guys, or was he going to follow his call to be an evangelist and an apostle? and a church planter. Because, see, if he had decided to go against these Roman magistrates, I mean, imagine how much time it would have taken. Never would have gone to Thessalonica. Never would have made it into to Athens and to Ephesus. Would have derailed the whole second missionary journey. You know, there's no telling what would have happened. So Paul had to really make, make a decision. Um, now, he wasn't going to let them... Uh, get away with it, so to speak, in the sense that they needed to know what, what they did was wrong, but then he wasn't going to go to the full extent of, of letting it derail his ministry. Now, at Rick Bonfim Ministries, our goal when we go to Cuba is not to overthrow the Cuban government. Now, I have some disagreements with the Cuban government. I do. I just, I do. And if, if, if a Cuban asks me, then I'll probably have to tell him that, but I'll tell him, try to tell him as nice as I can I simply don't think it works. I I don't know how I say it. Lord, will have to give me words and grace to do it in that moment. But see, our purpose of traveling to Cuba is to build the church and spread the gospel of Jesus Christ and to support the church of Bishop Pereira and what he's doing there and all the pastors there to help them build their, their church buildings, to help them spread the gospel, to help them buy a piano so they can sing some worship songs. 
our goal is to build the church. We're not there to be politicians and to overthrow government. That's not at all what we're there to do. And when we go to Peru, you know, we're there to build the church, to strengthen the pastors, to take an offering so that they can finish building their buildings. That's what we want to do. Now, Paul clearly says that you're supposed to pray for politics and politicians. But our goal as Christians, our main goal, okay, is not to um, force politics, force politics to bend to our wishes and our and our and our. It simply won't. Politics is a worldly system. Politics, every 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 government, though though the United States government, in my opinion, was was founded on Christian principles. Okay, um, it's a worldly system. In, in the end, it's a worldly system run by human beings, many of them not Christians. And so, um, my goal is not to force politics to do whatever I want as a Christian, but to be a Christian who is evangelizing the lost, who is praying for those who desperately need uh, to overcome in life, but we are allowed to fight for human rights. And that's the last thing I want to say. And that's what I see Paul doing here. Saying, look, you, you know, come on, guys. You know what you did was wrong. And, and you should know what you did was wrong. So when it comes to abortion, yeah, I'm going to stand up. I'm going to stand up to it. I'm going to stand with Pastor Rick. That's wrong. And to take my tax dollars, yeah, that's when I get into some politics there. Because morally, I think that's wrong. You know, marriage, I think. I agree with the biblical foundation, man and woman. So there are times when we have to get in there and we have to fight for what we believe as Christians, but our goal is not to force politicians to believe the way we believe. If that's our goal, then we'll, we'll never achieve our, our, our call to evangelize the lost and spread the gospel of Jesus Christ throughout all the world. And you know, that, that's a weird way to end this Bible study because really I think the main point is this jailer. And to see God creating an earthquake so that this man will be saved. And that actually is what Paul was trying to do. And so he actually ended up not really spending time with the magistrates. He spent time with the jailer. And that's really the lesson. You see the contrast there. Praise God. Thank you for watching this morning. Stay tuned. we got some great teachers coming up. And then tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock, we'll get into Acts chapter 17 with our dear friend, Pastor Gene Thomas from Virginia. Have a great day. Oh, God's mercy so amazes me.